Amen. All right. Uh, while they receive the offering, you guys pull out your Bibles. Um, you're going to want a Bible. You're going you're gonna to need a Bible this morning. So if you did not bring a uh, Bible, that's okay, actually. Um, but you're going you're gonna to need one. So if you forgot your Bible in the car, um, you left it at home, maybe you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There's a white Bible down there. You're going to want that. So reach down, pull that out. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you don't, you don't own a Bible, steal that one. Okay, I promise you no one will tackle you on the way out. Well, okay, I don't promise that, but not because you took the Bible, okay? Um, So go ahead and steal that one. If you don't own a Bible, take that one. In that white Bible, we are going to be in Luke chapter 1 on page uh, 499. Luke chapter 1, page 499. I think that'll be up on the screen. There it is. Luke chapter 1, page 499. Um, Cassie um, earlier read uh, the kind of the, the, the precursor of what we're going to be looking at um, in just a moment, right? She read this story where, where an angel shows up to um, a young uh, first century Israelite uh, girl, woman, um, this, this teenage girl who is not yet married, but she is engaged. The angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, you are going to conceive and have a son, um, and his name is going to be Great. He, he is, he'll sit on the throne of the King David, and of his, of his reign there will be no end. Mary's like, wait, hang on. Um, how is this going to be? I'm, I'm a virgin. Like, how does that, how does that Work And what the angel does, the angel explains, man, the Holy Spirit is going to do this. The Holy Spirit um, is going to conceive this child in you, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But then she goes on, sorry, he goes on, the the angel goes on, the angel Gabriel goes on and says, listen, listen, I know it's crazy, and it is crazy. I I understand this is hard for you to wrap your mind around, um, but here's the deal. Your relative, Elizabeth, She's also going to conceive and have a son. Now, now, not in the same way, but it is also just about as crazy. You remember a couple weeks ago we talked about this idea. Elizabeth, um, uh, Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, she is old. She, she is advanced in years. She is far too old to be, have children, and she has been barren her entire life. And so it's kind of this double whammy of you're never, it's never going to happen. And an angel shows up and says, no, 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 actually, your wife is going to have a son, John the Baptist. And so this angel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to have a son um, in, in a more crazy way than Elizabeth. But here's the deal. Your, your relative, Elizabeth, is also going to have a son. And so kind of justifying or saying, man, if God, God can do anything, there's nothing that he can't do. It doesn't matter if, if, you're, if, if you're old or if you are young and a virgin, he can, he can do anything. And so Mary, Mary then says, man, I've got to go. I've got to go talk to Elizabeth. And what we're going to look at this morning is this part of the story where um, Mary, kind of all of these emotions, all of these things that she's holding inside because she has to hold them inside, because who's going to believe your story, right? Like nobody's going to believe that. You can't go to your friends and say, "Ah, guess what? I'm pregnant and I'm still a virgin. They're not going to buy it, okay? Um, they're, just, they're just not. Not because they're mean, because it just doesn't work that way, all right? If you need me to explain it to you, we can talk afterwards. Happy to, okay? It doesn't work that way. They're not going to buy it. And so she has to kind of bottle this all up inside and, and these emotions. There's, there's an angel and he showed up. Like, she, like, she can't tell anybody that. Like, you just can't go around telling people that. That's crazy. But she knows that the same thing has happened to Elizabeth, right? Not the same thing, but a similar thing. 
that an angel has appeared to Zechariah, that Elizabeth has conceived, that she's, that she's pregnant, um, and it's a supernatural thing that God has shown up in their life. And so she's like, man, i got to go talk to Elizabeth. She goes to Elizabeth. She walks into the room. Now, Elizabeth, remember, this old woman pregnant with John the Baptist looks at Mary and says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For why is it granted to me? Why is it granted to me that I should stand in the presence of my Lord, my God, my King, my Savior? Why is that granted to me? No one, no one told Elizabeth. No, no one told her that um, Mary was pregnant. No one told her that an angel had come to visit Mary. No, nobody told her that. She just knew. She knew in that moment, filled with the Holy Spirit, man, God is in her midst. This, this, this embryo is the savior of the world. And she declares it. And Mary, in that moment, I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment where you kind of kept something inside all bottled up and all of a sudden you realize it's like the safe place and it just kind of burst out. That's what happens to Mary. It bursts, she bursts into this song and this, this declaration of how great God is. Um, and traditionally we've called this, we've called this text um, the Magnificat. The Magnificat. Um, which means to, to magnify. My soul magnifies. And that's what she says. The first thing um, that Mary says, this is the song that she burst into. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. So that's the first half of this. The first half, we're going to break it into two halves. The first half is Mary uh, declaring this unbelievable, um, just, just mind-blowing truth that God, that God has shown up and done something incredible in her life. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit, the spirit inside of me, rejoices in my God, my Savior. Every generation from now on, they're going to call me blessed. And it's true. 2,000 years later, here we are. Man, she was blessed. If the Lord tarries 2,000 years from now, they will call her blessed. Every generation will call her blessed. Why? She tells us why. She shows us why. Verse um, 48. For he, for he, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. God has turned his gaze onto this teenage, first century Israelite girl. And because of that, every generation will call her blessed. She didn't do anything. She, she, didn't, she didn't do something to earn this favor. She didn't do something to earn this kindness. Um, she, Mar Mary is not this superhero who has who is, who is, uh, in some way, shape, or form earned God's favor. No. N no, she's not. But God has given it to her anyways. And she knows this. She knows this is true. This is what she says. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He's fixed his gaze on my humble estate. I am broken. I am weak. I am, I am small. I, I am not worthy, right? 
He who is mighty has done great things for me who is lowly. Holy is his name, not my name. I didn't do anything. I didn't earn holiness. I didn't earn the right to bear the Savior of the world. I didn't do anything. God has done it all. Holy is his name. And this morning, we're, we're going to look at this idea of peace. What is peace? How do we attain peace? How do we, how do we find peace? And, and I, I think that the next half of this is going to reveal some deep truths to us. Mary sings these truths, and, and what she sings, what kind of comes next Mary, Mary sees her position before God so clearly. I am lowly. I am humble. I am not worthy. I, 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 am, I am broken and I am sinful, and yet he has done great things for me. She's going to go on and explain and, and draw this picture, paint this picture of how God engages the humble. How God treats those who are lowly. And I don't mean just act lowly, but are actually lowly. Genuinely do not consider themselves greater than anyone around them and certainly do not consider themselves worthy of anything before God. How does God engage those people? But at the same time, she's also going to paint the picture of the opposite. She's going to paint the picture of the person who um, is not that She's going to paint the picture of how God engages those who are not lowly, but yet are prideful and proud and arrogant and haughty. How does God engage them? And here's what I want you to, um, I think before we dive into this next chunk of Scripture, um, you've, you've got to kind of wrestle a little bit in your mind, and you've got to be a little bit honest with yourself and as we read this, you've got to ask yourself the question, which one am I? Which one am I? Am, am I the one who is truly lowly? Am I the one who is truly humble? And I live out my days never thinking that in any way, shape, or form, I am better than my neighbors, my friends, my coworkers. When I go into work on Monday, am I the least of these or am I putting everybody down to, to be, become the best of these? In, in my home, in my marriage, with my kid, um, am I putting myself below, beneath, as a servant, as a humble servant of my spouse and of my children? Or am I ruling and dominating and demanding that they treat me a certain way? Which one am I really? And as we wrestle through this, we're going to see, man, how God engages both of these positions. The first piece is this. This is what she says in verse 50. This is the truth that she declares. In his mercy, God, in God's mercy, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. For all time, from the beginning to the end, God extends mercy to those who fear him. God extends mercy to those um, who view him rightly. And this is where Mary finds herself, uh, as a person who understands their right place before God. The person who understands that, that God is the owner and creator of all things. That there's nothing in the universe that he does not put his finger on and say, that's mine. God extends his mercy to those who do not cling to the things of this world and say, no, 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 but this one's surely mine. Like, my, my kid is surely mine, right? I mean, I, I earned the money in the bank. That's surely mine. I, I've worked hard for that. 
I've, I've worked hard to, to be able to afford um, this car or this house. Surely that's mine. God's mercy is for those who fear him, who understand that none of those things will ever be ours. That the very next breath that we take will not be ours. Now this idea of the fear of God can be a hard thing for some of us because um, maybe some of you grew up in a home where you were truly afraid of your dad. Or maybe you grew up in a faith or a religion or a church where you were taught um, to be afraid of God. But being afraid of God is not the same thing as fearing God. Those are two totally different things. Mary doesn't say, man, his mercy is for those who are afraid of him. No. No, 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 no. We are not to be a people who tiptoe around just praying and begging, please don't let me screw up because I don't want to anger God. Please don't let me, please don't let me mess up because I, I, I I'm so afraid of what he might do. That's not what she's talking about at all. She's talking about a deep reverence and awe of who he is and a right standing of, of, how, of who I am. That I am small and I am tiny. I cling to nothing. I hold nothing in my hands. There's nothing that I can put my finger on and say, this is mine. I am small. He is great. And so therefore, when I approach him, I approach him with awe and reverence and respect in a way that, that is, is humble. I have two boys, um, and the oldest is, is three years old. He's almost four, Winston. Some of you guys know him. He's crazy. I love him. Um, Winston's, Winston is the strongest three-year-old I've ever known. Um, some of you have found that out the hard way. Um, he, he will own you, man. Um, but one of his favorite things is to wrestle his dad. He loves to wrestle. And we wrestle probably every day. Um, in some way, shape, or form, uh, we just go to town, right? And it's just it's constant wrestling. I'm teaching him all kinds of crazy wrestling moves. And like, it's just like MMA style in my house. It is, it's nuts. We, we, go, we go to town. You should see it's a 35-year-old guy on a three-year-old. It's, right? But here's the thing. He's, he's not afraid of his dad. He loves to wrestle his dad. But the reality is, in a split second, I could destroy that kid. He's three. In, in an instant, honestly, I, I, could, I could just break him in an instant. In an instant, I could, I could literally snuff the life out of his body in, in a moment. He's three years old. But he's not afraid of me. My, my, my wrestling moves end in laughter and tickling not death and destruction, because I'm his dad. He, he's not afraid of me. He, he finds delight in drawing near and cuddling with his dad and reading books with his dad and playing trains with his dad and, and even engaging in, in, in hand-to-hand combat with his dad, who could dominate him but never does, right? It ends in laughter and tickling and joy and delight. That's, that's how wrestling goes in our house. But when Winston gets in trouble... When Winston is doing something that he shouldn't do and dad walks into the room, everything stops. And in that moment, Winston's not afraid of his dad. He knows dad's the same one that's going to wrestle him and tickle him and play with him, but he fears his dad. He shows reverence and respect to his dad, and he stops what he's doing, and he looks at me with this look, um, not, not, of, not of being afraid, but a look of, what, what, what do you want me to do now, dad? 
I know I'm guilty. I know I'm busted. I know, but what do I do now? And this is how we approach our God. We draw near. We, we draw near. We, we come to him and we, we seek to know him. We seek to, we seek to find our delight and our joy in him. We seek, we seek to um, allow him to fill us and to be filled by him. We wrestle, we play, we find delight and joy, but at the same time, at the same time, we stand with this reverence and this awe and, and this humility before him all at the same time. Now, some of you in the room might have a hard time with this. You might, you might be saying, no, 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 Josh, you don't understand. Like, Christ has given his life. I'm righteous before God. We, I, like, I, we, don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to be reverent before him. Like, we just, we just play. We have fun. Like, there's grace and mercy and forgiveness and joy. Like, it's all delight. It's all good. Jesus is my homeboy, Josh. Like, we're good. Like, we're tight. Like, it's, it's okay. Like, we don't need to worry anymore. And I think you've, missed, you've misunderstood what mercy actually is. Um, R.C. Sproul, great theologian and pastor, um, passed away this week. And I was reading um, some short biographies and, and some things that he had written, and I stumbled across this quote, um, and I think it addresses this perfectly. R.C. Sproul said it this way. He said, as soon as we think God owes us mercy, we're not thinking about mercy anymore. See, I think we've misunderstood mercy. Mercy's never owed. No one owes you mercy. Mercy is extended by the person who's dominant, the person who's won, the person who is bigger than, stronger than, mightier than, holier than, greater than. That's who mercy is extended by. Mercy is never extended by the one who can't hack it. Mercy is never extended by the one who's been broken. Mercy is never extended by the one who's guilty. It's extended by the one who is blameless. God never has, never will owe you mercy. And so while, yes, he is loving and he is kind and he is just, his mercy is for those who fear him, not for those who walk around thinking that he, they, that he owes them. God owes you nothing, nothing. There's not one thing he owes you. The fact that he extends mercy at, at all should boggle our minds. The fact that he looks upon the lowliest state of those who are broken, that those who have rebelled against him, that those who, those who have rejected him, those who have um, sought their own pride to build their own kingdoms, sought their own glory, the fact that he extends mercy at all should boggle our minds. He doesn't owe us that. It's grace alone. Mercy is for those who fear him. The next piece is this, verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. This one took me a while. I wrestled with this idea. What does it mean? What does that mean? He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. What, what are the thoughts of the heart of the proud? What is the greatest desire of the person who is prideful? Or maybe I should say, what is the greatest desire of you and me? Because we are the people who are prideful. And if you think, no, not me, Josh. You most of all. That's how pride works, okay? That's just how it works, right? What, what's the desire? What is the great desire of those who are prideful? What is the greatest desire of you and me in our prideful moments? What is our desire? Is it not? Is it not to say, I'm good, thanks. I, I've achieved it. I'm good, thank you. I, I've got this, thanks. Hey, man, I noticed, I know that there's some rough things going on in your career. I heard that maybe you lost your job. If there's anything I can do, if there's any way I can help you. No, 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 I'm, I'm good, thanks. I've, I've got this. 
hey man, I, I, I heard that there's some stuff going on at home with your family and your marriage, and there's, it's a little dicey, man, if, if you want to just kind of talk. Get the, no, 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 I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Listen, I, I've secured this place, I've secured um, this bank account, I have secured this career, I've secured this dream job, I've secured this, 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 this perfect little dream, this white picket fence, two and a half kids, a dog, I, I have secured it, I am good, thank you. And when we come before God and God says, no, 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 what you need is me. We say, no, 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 I, I know, I know. Yes, we need Jesus, but really um, my neighbor needs Jesus. Like here's me, like I'm pretty good, man. Like I've got some things together in my life. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I actually read my Bible. Um, I, I, I pray, I, I treat people around me pretty, pretty well for the most part. Um, but my neighbor, he's like down here. And my cousin, my cousin Bill, he is like here, bro. So maybe you should go talk to him um, because I'm good, thanks. And when we come to, to before God and we say, man, I, I don't need, listen, man, I, I, know, I know small groups are good, but I'm, I don't need that. I don't need people in my life that spur me on towards Christ. I'm, I'm good, thanks. I, I, I know that the gathering of the saints um, is good and right and it realigns our affections, but man, that's between me and Jesus. I just go up, on, I just go up in the woods and I just pray, and, man, I'm good, thanks. I don't, need, I don't need the gathering for that. I don't need the church for that. I'm good, thanks. What, what Mary's saying is, what does God do? What does God do with those people? He says, okay. Okay. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You think you're good? Okay. Go on then. And we miss out on our desperate, complete, total, utter need for a dependency upon a relationship with the Savior of the world. Because we're good, we got it. He says, go, go on then. Go, go, go on then. He scatters the proud and the desires of their heart. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Now, th this, this is simple, right? If you, if you read your Bible, this, this is like a no-brainer. This is what he does, right? Uh, from the beginning of time um, all the way until now, this is what he does. He exalts those who are humble. He exalts those who are lowly, and he brings down those who are prideful. He brings down those who are arrogant. This is who God is. You, we, have, we have thousands of years of history um, that teach us this is true. You, you look at the people who he's lifted up, men like Moses, men like David, who are, who are humble and faithful men. He rises them to positions of great leadership, great power, um, gives them the keys um, to the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Look what he does to those who are prideful. Guys like Saul, guys like Samson, guys like um, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, again and again and again and again. I mean, you think you got it? He brings them low. This is the story of the nation of Israel. Like this, this is their story, right? They're in Egypt. They're lowly. They're humble. They cry out to God. God says, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to give you freedom. They get cocky. They get arrogant. They think that they've got it. They think they've got it handled. He brings them low. They become humble and they become remorseful and um, contrite and they're sorrowful and um, 
that there's repentance in their heart, he begins to bring them back up, leads them in the promised land. They get cocky and they get arrogant. He brings them back down. They get, they get spanked around by, by other nations and other kingdoms. He brings them low. Then he brings them back up. He brings them low. Like, this is what he does on, 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 the, on high levels of, of nations and kingdoms and, and on, on low levels in my own soul and in your own heart. This is who he is. This is how he engages those who are prideful and those who are haughty and, and, um, and arrogant. And this is how he engages those who are humble and lowly. He brings up the lowly and he brings down the prideful. The next verse says something similar. Um, in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, hear this. He has not sent the rich away poor. He's just sent them away. He has not filled the hungry with wealth and riches. He's filled them with good things. And is anyone good except for God alone? No. You see, the hungry are, there, there's, no, there's no one more humble than someone who's hungry. There's no, there's no one more hung, humble than one who says, man, I, I, I just need a little bit of food. Like, it doesn't get more humble than that. And what Mary is actually saying, and, and while, while yes, this is true of those who are hungry and, and those who are rich, what she's actually talking about are those who are poor in spirit, who, those who, who realize, man, man I, I don't have it all together. I need Christ in my life. He fills them with good things. Maybe not the desires of their pride. He fills them with actually good things. He fills them with grace and mercy and love. He fills them with forgiveness. He fills them with the Holy Spirit. He fills them with kindness. He fills them with good things. The rich he sends away. He doesn't take away their stuff. He just says, you go, you find your security in that. You find your joy in that. You, you go do that, and you let me know how it works out for you. And some of you, this has been your story. You've pursued dream after dream after dream after dream after dream, um, and it's let you down again and again and again and again until finally you came crawling back and saying, I'm hungry. Not because you didn't achieve it. You did. You landed that dream job. You, 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 you nailed that distant dream in the future, that, that house that car, that spouse, you, you got it. But you realize you're still hungry. There's a, there's a God-sized hole in your soul, and it cannot be filled with dreams and hopes and stuff of this world. So you've come back and said, man, I'm, I'm hungry. This is, this is your story. Now, here's the question, friends, that, that we have to wrestle with. And some of you might already be asking it. I hope you are. What in the world does any of this have to do with peace? Like, I, I hear you, Josh. I hear what you're saying. Like, this is intense. This is heavy. This is like the opposite of peace. Like, you've stressed me out, Josh. You've made me, like, even a little sad. Like, I'm not, like, what does this have to do with peace? You see, I think that our idea of peace, for, for, for pretty much all of us, is a future idea of peace. We've, we've proclaimed things, man, when, when my kids finally get old enough where they can start school and they can go to kindergarten, then there will be peace in my house. Amen? 
All right? Now, for the rest of you who have kids that are already in school, you're like, man, when my kids actually go to college and they get out of my house, then there will be peace, right? Um, right? It's, it's always in the distance. It's always in the future. When, when I get this position in my job and then I have more vacation days and more flexibility and my boss won't always be on top of me, like, then there will be peace. When I, get, when I get this credit card debt paid off and I can build some savings, then there will be peace. Like, that's the place where there's peace. It's in the future. It's in the distance. It's in my circumstance. That's where peace is. When I finally get to the place where I can say, hey, man, I've got it. I'm good, thanks. That's where my peace is. And man, what I'm trying to get you to see, man, is that's the, that's the worst place to be. That is the worst place to be. The place where you have found, bought, and acquired this thing, and you're like, now I finally reached it, I finally got it, I'm good, thanks. There's no peace there. And some of you have found that out the hard way. You've given your life to finding that, um, and you finally get to this, all of these things that you want, and you're like, finally I'm here, and you're like, but there's, all there is is unrest. And all there is is turmoil, and it's empty. There's no peace there. It's the most dangerous place to be. You see, Mary, Mary, in her, her mind's eye, she never once in her life thought, you know, where, you know what the place is going to bring, bring me peace? You know what will bring me peace in my life someday? Um, she, she's a first century Israelite woman. For her, peace is, um, I'm going to marry a carpenter. You're gonna build me a nice house. We're gonna have a few kids. We're just gonna we're just gonna live. It's just gonna be great. Never in her wildest dreams did she ever think, man. You know what's gonna bring me peace? Immaculate conception. Like that's gonna do it for me. Like she never thought that. You know what's gonna bring me peace? Giving birth to the Son of God. Like that's gonna. She never thought that. And it didn't. I mean, honestly, think about it for a second. I mean, for the first like bulk of Jesus' life, she is the weird mom who never tells um, her kid that he's crazy, right? People are like, dude, you realize what your son is saying? Like, he's saying that he's the son of God. He's saying that he's the Messiah. Like, you've got to tell that boy to knock it off. Like, that's her life. That's her existence. And then as he grows up and people begin to buy it, she gets to watch him bleed out on the cross. She gets to watch the one that she raised and loved with her whole heart be brutally killed for you and for me. You think she would trade it? You think she would give it all back if she could just have um, the little picket fence and the two and a half kids and a dog and a, and a minivan and that her little boy could grow up and he could get a good job and marry the right woman and get good grades and live happily ever after? You think she would trade that in? No, man. No way. See, what Mary understands in this moment as she just bursts into song, peace, peace is exactly where God has you. Peace is the, is the thing where we, where we turn from all of the things that we thought were going to bring us peace, and we realize, man, where I am in this moment is where God has me. And so rather than running to these things that I think are going to bring comfort, I run to the foot of the cross and I say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in the turmoil. I need you in the stress. I, I need you um, to, find, to comfort me here. I need you to fill my life here. I, I, don't, I don't need my circumstances to change. I just need you to be in the midst of my circumstances. 
You see, my fear is, my fear is, is that as we pursue and as we chase after um, this idea of comfort, this idea of peace, we miss out on the Prince of Peace. We miss out on the only real peace that there is in life, knowing that we stand right before God, that he has rescued us and redeemed us. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you this morning have come into this room, and you've come into this room with all kinds of stress, and you're worried about, man, what is my family going to say? What are they going to do on Christmas Eve? Is it going to boil over into some sort of fight or some sort of argument? Man, I just lost my job. How are we even going to get through Christmas? Man, I've just maxed out my credit card. I've spent it all on, all on toys and stuff for, for other people. Like, what am I going to do? Like, like you've, you've walked in here. And there's things in your life that are an absolute wreck. And you're like, no, no, no. When I get to this place where I can say, like, I, I've, I've got it, thanks. I don't need any more help, thanks. That's where peace is. That's where danger is. Peace is in the midst of exactly where God has you. And exactly where he has you is right where you are. The reality is, is that the reason why you might be experiencing some of those things in your life because he's bringing down the proud in order to bring you near to himself. That's what he does. And my prayer for you, this, 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 as, we, as we move through Advent, is that all of the things, all of the things around you that are stressful and chaotic and crazy, that you'd press them out, you'd push them away, and you'd fix your gaze on Christ alone. And you'd say, and you'd say Prince of Peace, bring peace to my life. I don't need you to, to bring me wealth. I don't need you to pay off my credit card. I don't need you to, to, to restore everything that's broken in my life. I just need you. I need your presence. I can't do it anymore. That is the place of peace. When we say, man, I'm hungry. And I don't have the answers. I don't have the cure. And in that place, friends, in that place is unending treasure. No one has ever tapped that well. No one has ever drank it dry. There's so much treasure in Christ. There's so much goodness in Christ. There's so much beauty in Christ. And when the waves come, when everything is crazy, if that is the desire of your heart, to just be at his feet, the treasure, the beauty, the grace, the mercy of Christ will be your comfort in that hour of darkness. That is true peace. It's not in the future. It's here and it's now. Let us cling to the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would bring comfort into this room, that, you, that we would see the treasure of the gospel. We'd see the treasure of the good news, that, that our, our souls would become alive and that we would declare, man, um, my spirit rejoices in my God and my King. In the midst of my tears, my spirit rejoices. In the midst of um, my, my lost job, my spirit rejoices. In the midst of um, the craziness of my kids, my spirit rejoices. In the midst of the brokenness of my marriage, my spirit rejoices. In the midst of all of the things around me, my spirit rejoices in my God, my King, my Savior. Help us to find our delight in you. Help us to run towards you, not run towards what we think we can fix. Breathe rest. Breathe rest into our lives. Breathe, breathe rest into my life. Bring, bring comfort 
the people in this room who would lay down their lives, who would stop clinging to the things of this world, and who have a right and healthy fear of you, bring comfort to their lives, bring peace to their lives. Reveal to them the depths of your mercy. Blow them away with your grace. Show them your favor. I pray these things in your name. Amen.